You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 96, Devs. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Mike and Dave with you here once again, and it's time for another show topic. We're going to dive deep into a very complex uh, mental gymnastics type of show from FX on Hulu. I'm not sure what that means, but it was originally going to be on FX. Now it's on Hulu, and that's Devs. And this is one that I was worried, Dave, that you wouldn't enjoy, and and you really have enjoyed it. Yes, I have. And you know, we've we've talked about show titles and pilot episodes really need to draw you in. And I gotta say, the show's name isn't <laughs> really that drawing my attention, but. That said, once I get into the show, and, and I know you're going to mention it, but I'm watching it, and the entire time I'm thinking, this really feels a lot like Ex Machina. <laughs> I go to IMDb. Oh, that's why. Okay. <laughs> but it's definitely got a uh, Alex Garland flavor to it, and we're going to talk all about that. But before we get into our show discussion, we do actually have to do our drawing and then our, oh, yeah. our giveaway hasn't gone exactly the way that our expanse one did because of all that's happening out there in the world. But we do have some entries and we're going to go ahead and draw three names. So let's uh, get out my handy dandy website that has the randomizer on it and we'll get going here. All right, let's get it going. And the first result is from Twitter dark jeep 2 also known as dan and dan says poe has to be the best remember we asked them what's their favorite character overwhelmingly the favorite character was poe and dan answered that too congratulations dan that's great and poe is my favorite too dave i don't know about you (laughs) well what i learned because i haven't read the novels is that in the novels poe is actually Jimi hendrix oh interesting and that the the hendrix estate would not allow them to use his Ah, image. Well, Edgar Allan Poe as Baltimoreans, you and I, (laughs) is a nice close second. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) All right, let's get this wheel going again and see who's next. All right, from uh, Twitter again, the Aura 666, also known as Christina. Congratulations, Christina. She just wrote in her answer, Poe, all caps, exclamation point. (laughs) Very good. All right. And we have one more book to give away. So let's go ahead and spin the wheel once more. Round and round it goes. (laughs) All right. And Nick, uh, on Twitter, his handle, Nico Starlord. Nick also answered Poe, big surprise. But he also mentioned the other AI, Dig301, a great addition to season two. So thanks to everybody who entered our contest and Nick and Christina and Dan, we will be in touch with you via Twitter to get your address and we'll send those right out to you. Congratulations. All right, cool. Thanks for entering. Yeah. And and I've gotten to take a peek at the book. It it came in the mail to me. That's kind of my ulterior motive for running these (laughs) contests because I get a copy myself and it looks pretty cool. So you'll really very much enjoy it. But we actually have a different kind of cyberpunk show to talk about. I'm not even sure if it falls into that category, but it definitely is cyber in a way. A lot of lot of technology and the computing gone haywire kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about devs. And like Dave said, those who have seen Ex Machina or Annihilation 
know exactly what to expect from writer-director Alex Garland. And this is no exception. Devs has that shady corporation. It's got that tech guru with questionable motives and ethics. And Garland is known for just mind-bending fiction, which always brings up questions of morality, technology, humanity. And I think, Dave, you'll agree with me here. It brings up elements of philosophy because really we're talking about, is it fate or determinism that we're dealing with in our day-to-day lives and experience of time? And so you know that appeals to the time travel fan in me, even without actually using time travel. Right, because the owner of the company, Forrest, even sets down some time travel rules. You can go to the past, not the future. Except for me. I can do that. Exactly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But that's in the spoiler zone, so we won't get into that. But we actually do have a couple of episodes to talk about premise-wise. And for those of you who have checked out Devs, we are going to be talking about the first two episodes here to get at some of the characters and some of the nitty-gritty But the spoiler zone was so rich, we've actually, uh, I think four episodes have aired as of the recording of this podcast. It is week to week on Hulu. So we actually will be getting into some big reveals that happen later. And I can't wait to see where the series heads because we're in the dark about it too. We don't have any advanced knowledge beyond what everyone else has. So we're going to just dive in here with some of the characters because really it's an interesting premise because at first I think we we're not sure who the main character is going to be. It looks like it's going to follow this guy, Sergey, and he doesn't last too long, Dave. <laughs> no. And obviously his disappearance involves his girlfriend, Lily, and trying to figure out what actually happened to him. And, and that's one of the cool things about this series is that while the search for Sergey ends up taking up a lot of the narrative, the underlying sci-fi time travel elements are just waiting to be dug into. Yeah, because such a small number of people know about what's really going on at this company. And it's future tech. And it's really kind of world-changing, life-changing, as Sergey finds out. So devs, instead, will say, as the premise, follows a computer engineer named Lily, who's investigating her boyfriend's disappearance. She believes it has something to do with his recent promotion to the inner circle of the secret R&D department known as devs and like research and development devs would be the development aspect of that. And it does have a, the people that are on the devs team do have a certain, you know, computer geeky personality to them and they're very eclectic, that group. Yeah. And we get a a explanation of what it is they do at Amaya. I'm not sure any of it makes sense, at least to me. Well, I feel like it's probably a very broad spectrum of, of tasks outside of devs that are in the technology world in general, because of course both Sergey and Lily work at Amaya. They met there, I'm sure, and, and fell in love. And I think Lily works in the cryptography department. I, I'm not sure if I caught that correct or cryptology or cryptography, something like that. And Sergey has been working on using a computer and he's getting ready for a presentation in episode one to show that they can actually predict the movements of a nematode, which is a little worm that's very simplistic, but this computer is able to, you know, use predictive algorithms over the course of time to predict what the worm is going to do next. And this demonstration actually goes pretty well. He's 
demonstrating it for Forrest, the CEO of Amaya. And it's showing exactly the movements that the worm is going to make, but it only lasts for a few seconds. So when asked why he couldn't get it to work longer, Sergey speculates that either they need more computing power or the uncertainty of the future across all possible iterations of the many worlds theory is at play. His boss doesn't like the many worlds theory at all, so he prefers the first explanation. And of course, we find out through the course of the first two episodes that what Sergey was doing was like a small version of what they're doing at devs with a much more powerful computer. Yeah, and what I like about the introduction of the many worlds theory and, and certainly the fact that Farce, the, the boss, doesn't subscribe to it, doesn't really want to hear about it, it's been laid out there and like the, the project that they're working on at devs is, is just lying there in the background. So is that many worlds theory. Exactly, and why does Forrest not like it, which we'll definitely dive into in the spoiler zone, but it's kind of cryptic at first. He actually just wants a computer that can predict everything, I guess. We're not sure what his total motives are at first, but Forrest is such a great character, played by Nick Offerman. People know him from Parks and Rec and other shows. He's this single-minded CEO who has named his company Amaya after his daughter, who that comes across must have died young. And there's this very creepy giant statue of her on the campus of the company's office park, I guess you could call it. And I think that was an interesting thing that we weren't sure why we kept getting these long shots, these establishing shots of the wooded area that the company is situated in. And this giant girl is peeking up above the branches. Yeah, I mean, it is creepy. I, I think it's even more creepy than her image on the side of the company helicopters. <laughs> but it, it also lays the groundwork for what kind of a man we're dealing with here. Yeah. Clearly, he's brilliant to have developed a company to this extent, but that it's all centered around, or so it seems, this daughter he lost at a young age. I mean, on the one hand, we've seen this before, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's something that we know to expect from very small hints that we get early on. Okay, this is an obsessed guy. We get it. We've seen it before and we know what to expect, especially from Alex Garland's other theatrical work, right? Right, sure. So once Forrest sees Sergei's potential, of course he recruits him for devs, which Sergei is very psyched about. He's very happy to tell Lily about it. But then when he goes in, Things go wrong rather quickly. Forrest kind of asks him to guess, what do you think it is we're doing here? And as they're going in, it kind of heightens the mystery as they converse because he thinks it might have something to do with national security. Maybe it's biotech. But then when he explains, Forrest, that is, that there's a quantum computer inside this building with thick concrete, a vacuum-sealed air gap, and a Faraday cage separating it from the outside world so that nothing can interfere with it or spy on it or hack into it or anything like that. It's just presented almost as though it's a temple as they go in. So first of all, we have to mention, even as we're going over the story, the visuals in this show are just amazing in terms of what they communicate without the dialogue. 
Oh, yeah, that little horizontal elevator that takes them from the outside to the, you know, the inner workings of that building. But the other thing we almost forgot to mention when he was doing that little test with the worm, it almost seemed as if he failed. Yeah. And he was going to be reamed out by yeah. Forrest. <laughs> and he thought that, we thought that, and of course, that's not what happens. And then, as you said, once he's brought on board, the other thing I like is they bring him in, they give him his, no, it's not really a cubicle, his workstation. <laughs> yeah. Well, what am I supposed to do? You'll figure it out. <laughs> exactly. You don't even, you don't have to sit here. You can spend as much time as you want here, you know, sleep here. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Just soak it all in and you'll figure it out as you go along. And it's interesting because he's surrounded by other people who kind of let him be here on his first day. But the first face I noticed was Allison Pill, because we just talked about Star Trek Picard. And here's the good doctor, <laughs> once again, playing a much different character, much more stoic, much more um, almost emotionless. Katie, who uh, I guess you could call her maybe the manager of Devs, the boss underneath of Forrest. But also we do get to meet Stuart, who's kind of an older uh, African-American gentleman, and a young kid named Lyndon but you have to wonder how the heck Lyndon got there. I'm not even sure we know the answer to that even now later on in the series because he's quite young. (laughs) And played by a female actress. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely an eclectic group, like I said. They've got a variety of personalities and backgrounds, and Sergei doesn't look like he's going to fit in very well (laughs) right from the start because as soon as he sees the code, he realizes the implications and says to Katie... This changes everything. But Katie says, it changes absolutely nothing. And in a way, that's the point, which is such a brilliant line because I think there's a lot of people that at this point in the series weren't sure what the heck she was talking about. But if you put two and two together about the fact that the worm that Sergei was looking at, they were predicting every last minute of its movement. That kind of takes away the idea of free will. If everything has already been determined, then time is a solid fixed state, future, past, and present. And it basically says, well, no matter what choice I make, it's really already been made. And that's what Katie's saying here is that Sergei has realized that they've taken his worm experiment to the next level. And it was always meant to be, Katie's basically saying this, along with everything else in the future, is already written. So how do we explain his reaction where he gets physically sick? I mean, I'm trying to look at it as if I was in his position. Yeah. Is it that they've taken my work and done this with it, which if that's the case, well, that's cool. No, I don't think that's it. (laughs) Okay. Well, is it that, geez, there is no free will anymore. I'm not sure that would make me physically ill. Yeah. Well, it's either that he's realized the implications of it and it just kind of rocks his world, which obviously you're not buying that explanation, (laughs) but it also could be because he realizes what he's about to do because now he's in the inner circle and he's been placed there. God knows how long by the Russian intelligence. Yeah. That's what we find out is, is the case. He's not even very good at that. And maybe that's why he's physically sick because he, doesn't know spycraft too well. I mean, he's taking pictures with his watch and even before Katie kind of looks at him suspiciously and even before Forrest catches him and says, 
nice James Bond watch or whatever, <laughs> you know, we could see that he was aiming his watch at the screen. I mean, did you figure it out before? Well, he was yeah, caught? I did. <laughs> I, I did. And I, and I guess my final conclusion is that as a Russian spy, it's one thing to turn over certain things that are being worked on here at Amaya, but this is so monumental that I just can't. And then, of course, when you're playing both sides of something, you, you never know if they find out that you knew something and didn't tell us. I think the biggest misgiving I have is not so much what Sergei's up to and what his motivations are and who he's working for, but rather, why the heck was he brought into devs in the first place if he's going to fail on day one? Because Kenton, the head of security, was definitely suspicious of him just because he was Russian. And, you know, Forrest catches him out there in the as he's walking away from devs and says, you know, you made no decision to betray me. You could have only done what you did, basically reinforcing that idea of determinism where Sergei had no choice. It was already written in the cards and this is playing out exactly like it had to have played out. So then my question is, well, wouldn't they have known that? I know you said they are not allowed to look at the future, but you know, it seems like a pretty obvious mistake that they've made for him to get caught on the very first day, just a couple hours, I would think after working there. Well, right. But as you said earlier, Forrest is allowed to look into the future, but that still doesn't answer the question unless he's simply a pawn in a longer game. Yeah. And so I'm very suspicious moving forward, even knowing what happens in episode three and four, which will be in the spoiler zone. I'm still wondering if we know everything that there is to know about Sergei's recruitment and how much they knew about his duplicity even before he got caught. So I'm, I'm wondering you know, how does that play into leverage against Lily? And we'll talk about that in a bit, but obviously they've got to do something about it. They have this head of security who is very brutal in his methods and kills Sergei in a very violent way with a plastic bag over his head. And this is the kind of measures they have to take to keep their corporate secrets because this is a life-changing thing. No matter what Katie says, it is something that would change everything about the way people live their lives. But then they go through some pretty extreme lengths to fake some security footage where it shows him leaving the campus and then returning days later only to burn himself alive at the foot of the Amaya statue. Now, this is for the police's benefit so that they can get rid of any culpability, but also presumably for Lily's, who they have to come up with an explanation for because she's going to be wondering where her boyfriend is even more so than the average coworker. But did you think it was a little bit strange that they went to such unusual steps to make it look like something that really on the face of it is illogical for him to have done? Well, yes and no. I mean, Lily doesn't buy it, nor do we as the viewer. I think we know right from the start, this is doctored footage. We know what this place is capable of doing technologically, so to fake a little video footage, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, computer that they have in there could do that in low power mode, <laughs> you know? But speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about what the program does, because in the first two episodes, we only get a couple glimpses, but they're pretty significant, because we see Stuart, who's the older gentleman, kind of coaxing this image along that he's working on. It's kind of fuzzy 
And he says, come on, baby, come on, baby. Katie takes offense to that. (laughs) But as they look up at the large screen that he's tuning in like a fuzzy radio, it kind of morphs into an image that looks like Jesus on the cross. And I think it's interesting that the viewer, the average viewer is probably wondering, is that what I think it is? And it is exactly what you think it is, but it's just suggested rather than spelled out. I love that. Right. And the Aramaic language is just, I mean, it tops off a really powerful scene. Yeah. So basically what we're supposed to conclude here is that just like Sergei was able to look at what the nematode would do in the future, you can also look back into the past and keep those predictive movements And this computer is so powerful that it can look across the entire stream of time to see what actually happened and witness it in kind of a low res way, of course, but it's pretty remarkable. I mean, they can hone in on specific moments of time through the power of quantum computing. So it's certainly something that we know has applications that might be interesting to people in the government, but it seems like Forrest is interested in something else because we see him looking at a scene from his own past. It's his daughter, Amaya blowing bubbles while sitting on the edge of a bed. And this is where you get the idea that, okay, this isn't something where we're looking for military applications. (laughs) This is something that he's purely developing for selfish reasons. And now my question then becomes, does he hope to change the past? Does he have to hope to go back and change something so that she lives because it doesn't seem like this technology is headed in that particular direction, but he must have something in mind. Right. And that's what's so unique about this vision of time travel, because we're used to time travelers inserting themselves into the past, just as you said, to make a change so that the future is not as bleak, you know, somebody doesn't die, whatever. And so far, we can go back in time, but only as observers. So like you said, how does he plan to bring his daughter back if, in fact, that's what his ultimate plan is, which we don't know at this point? Exactly. I kind of love that we don't know that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Even just for the podcast purposes, it's kind of nice to speculate. But Kenton, the head of security, does notice that he's still living in an old suburban house, even though he's filthy rich. And I'm guessing that's probably because this is where Amaya grew up. And he couldn't leave it. This is where that scene took place, where she was blowing bubbles. So I thought that was an interesting bit of characterization as well. But really, it's about Lily. You know, moving forward out of episode one, it is all about Lily. So we have Lily struggling to gain access to Sergei's cell phone, which I love how she does that. She doesn't have access to his actual phone, but she's able to basically download a backup of his phone onto her own. And when she does that, it has a couple of extra things on it. Well, one extra thing in particular, which is a Sudoku game, and she knows he doesn't play Sudoku. (laughs) So that's something she needs help with. She's got some friends at work that we find out later on, but there's one person, a hacker type, that she knows could help her get into Sergei's cell phone and find out what the Sudoku game is all about because she tries to type in a password. And why the heck would you have a password on a Sudoku game? But... Clearly, it's something more than that. She types in a password and gets told there are only two attempts left. So she goes to her ex-boyfriend for help. And this is what sets up kind of an interesting dynamic for her getting help because it's awkward. But at the same time, 
He will do anything, she says. Right. And she certainly knows how good he is at what he does. And there's a certain comfort level. I love the fact that she climbs up the side of his building and <laughs> yeah. comes in his balcony. That, you know, that you was get the sense cool. she's done that before. <laughs> yes. But also she knows how much he dotes on her. And I think she can manipulate that and use that to her advantage. And I don't think she has any illusions about how he's a puppy dog at her feet. But it does take a little bit of persuasion. Obviously, he tells her to get lost at first, but it does actually check out. He finally agrees and finds out that it's a Russian messaging app that's hidden inside the Sudoku game. And Jamie guesses that Sergei was a spy conducting industrial espionage. So he resets the password for her and she tries to figure out what's going on. And all she has to go on are some messages back and forth, you know, checking in, everything's good, checking in, everything's good. And then finally it says meet. And apparently that's as far as Sergey got. So she types in meet to see if she can get an idea of who's on the other end. And I love it. The guy on the other side says, who is this? Is this Lily? As though they already know that if someone is typing something in and it's not Sergey, that his girlfriend must be at play and they know all about her. <laughs> yeah, right. And I guess I was trying to figure out, well, do they know Sergey is dead? All she did was type in the word meet, which clearly he had typed in. So I wasn't really clear how they know it's her. I mean, I'm sure they know about her, but. I don't know if Sergey's death has been announced. I feel like I remember her actually letting the handler know that he was dead, but it's definitely something that she is curious enough to go to a specific location at a specific time. And, you know, the whole app self-destructs after <laughs> in a very mission impossible fashion. And she shows up at this meeting spot to find a man named Anton who works for Russian intelligence. He says he wants to protect her and that Sergei had a good reason to do what he did, but it's not all that persuasive. I think it's basically just saying that, listen, this company that you're working for is not doing good in the world. And it's not just about Russians getting an even playing field here. It's about maybe stopping something that they shouldn't be doing in the first place, no matter who they, what country they work for. Right. And we do get a little hint of government oversight in the series. And I guess then it does beg the question, how much has Sergey let his handlers know? Because really, has he had a chance yet to let them know what he's learned at devs? Well, especially since he might not have been giving them intel about what he was doing earlier. He was probably just in place so that he could get promoted into devs. Yeah, lo long game. Yeah, exactly. He was a sleeper agent, as it were. <laughs> but, you know, obviously his job was to infiltrate. Something happened. He was killed. And if that answer is sufficient for her, says Anton, she can just go her separate way, doesn't have to ever see him again. But if she wants more, she's going to have to work with him. But we never really get to find out if that would have happened. First of all, Lily, instead of, you know, moving the chair in front of the window like she's supposed to to contact him, she actually puts a sign up in the window that says F you. So we get the sense that she wouldn't have worked for him, at least not at first. But she doesn't have a chance to get her mind changed anyway, because Kenton was, you know, observing them from afar and takes Anton out after giving him a chance to just look the other way about this. But maybe that wasn't very persuasive anyway. I think that was going to come 
to a head regardless. Right. Now, were you a little disappointed that Lily didn't take a roll of masking tape and make the F in the window <laughs> and then just a, a big U? Yeah. A little homage to the X-Files and Mulder. Exactly. That's how they got Deep Throat. But yeah, that is basically how episode two ends. So you're wondering, okay, where's this headed? Because really it becomes a tech thriller rather than a sci-fi show if you're just going on what Lily's going through, right? Right, but there's still that time travel in the background. (laughs) Exactly, and that's what really draws me in, especially in the later episodes. So if you haven't seen episodes three or four, you want to tune out now. But if you have caught up on devs, we're going to go into the spoiler zone and talk about a couple of our overall impressions of some of the things that happen along the way. You are now entering the spoiler zone. All right, Dave, you mentioned that there was some government interest. And actually, the the interest in this company and what they're up to is really the least interesting side plot that they came up with. I, I really have no interest in following that anymore. It's just basically a senator comes to town, wants to know what Forrest is really up to here at Amaya. But all he's willing to offer is that they're working on a powerful predictive algorithm. And she's like, oh, you mean with the weather? Yeah with the weather. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's totally out of her league and yeah. whatever she threatens will just be minuscule compared to the power that Forrest wields. Exactly. So I'm not sure if that's just supposed to show us that the military element, which might be a trope in a show like this, is not really going to be a factor or maybe it will. It, I mean, maybe it'll come up in a later episode. I, I think it probably will. They're going to have to deal with it at some point. But what I like much better is what you mentioned, the sci-fi element of the show, as Lyndon and Stuart work on looking into the past, continuing to work with this computer. And I like how the first thing they decide to work on, well, I guess it's not the first thing, but they uh, are sitting there and Katie walks in and they're watching porn. It's like, why can't any advance in technology ever happen without people using it to watch porn? (laughs) Right. And on the one hand, that strikes me as a trope element because that is such a a ubiquitous assessment and true, (laughs) I suppose, when you get down to it. But do they have control over where they go? That's never really explained yet or, or unless I missed it. Control over where they go in time. In time. Yeah, in time. Yeah, I think they're tuning it in like a radio, time and place. So here they're watching Marilyn Monroe having sex with Arthur Miller, which they call the ultimate sex tape. And though how they tune it in to a specific place and point of view is an interesting thing that we could get into if we were being really nitpicky. But really, it's all about those two rules that Katie mentions. One is that they're only allowed to look into the past. And two that they don't invade privacy, which is why she has an issue with them watching Marilyn Monroe in an intimate moment. But I find that to be very iffy at best. Sure, only looking into the past, but not invading privacy. I mean, that's just something that predictive technology is built to do. Right. I mean, and how do you look into the past without invading privacy on some level? Yeah, it's, you have to, especially since we already know then in later parts of the episode that Forrest has been looking into the future, not following those rules. And Katie actually scolds him about it and says, listen, if if people around here see you doing this, they're going to think the rules don't apply to you. And he says, they know I do it. <laughs> they know exactly what I'm doing. And uh, 
it's just the way it is. He's the boss. So I feel like if it hadn't been for what Lyndon did, there wouldn't have necessarily been a specific goal in mind, at least not that was visible to the viewer. You know, they were just looking at different points in time. Forrest was looking at his daughter blowing bubbles. And where was that headed? (laughs) I guess is what my question is. But we'll get to that in a minute, what Lyndon was up to, because I want to talk about how the fact that Lily had a great episode. I think it was episode three where she's acting very paranoid, pulled aside by her superior. And Lily tells her everything about her doubts that Sergei wasn't, didn't just commit suicide and that there was something fishy going on. A friend named Jen kind of walks into the conversation and almost seems to encourage her crazy talk. And Jen is forced to reveal to this supervisor that Lily has a history of schizophrenia. And Dave, I think you were like me when you're watching this, you're going, Lily, what are you doing? This is crazy. You're, you're going to endanger yourself and all these people are probably in on it and, and stuff like that. The suspicions were very high. Oh, in my notes, I wrote what on earth possesses you to tell other people. (laughs) Yeah. Keep it on the down low. But of course, as it unfolds, it's a lot more to it than that. She relates the truth to Kenton, head of security, who we know is in on it. And we've seen Forrest try to offer her sympathy. And I think he's kind of genuine about that. But at the same time, he's the one responsible for Sergei's death. She starts to go off the rails a bit when she's talking with Kenton, bringing in some numerology, talks about numbers in the Fibonacci sequence relating to an episode back in New York and this one here. And then you're like, Oh, she's really going crazy. And and this thing that Jen said about schizophrenia might be true. And so, you know, Lily thinks Jen sold her out, ends up out on a ledge. But then that's when the reveal kind of happens where Jen uses the time with Kenton trying to talk her down off the ledge to steal some video files from his computer And so when they drive away with the thumb drive, they celebrate their Oscar level performance as Jen calls it. (laughs) And it's just like, it hits you at the same time as it does, you know, Jen and Lily. So such a great moment there in episode three. Oh, that was the plan (laughs) all along. Cause you, you know, you want Lily to be savvy and of course she very much is, but you know, it's not like she doesn't get caught in stuff like in the double cross because she brings that footage to Jamie, her ex-boyfriend. He watches the video and realizes that the flame effects are fake. Kind of amateur mistake, in my opinion, to have the copy and pasted flame effect from some transparent video file download that you got off of the (laughs) torrent sites or whatever. Right, because it's one thing to fool the police. (laughs) But you had to know Lily was going to look at this with some interest and with some detail. Well, you probably thought, well, she's only going to see it once. It's never going to be in her hands again True, but that wasn't the case they they stole it but the episode ends in kind of a really cool visual which they have tons of cool visuals in the show where the staging of the scene as it really happened is revealed to us the viewer in reverse and we we get to see them laying out the body and burning it to make it look like a suicide so really kind of a cool way to do that now shouldn't they have known they were going to steal the video footage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess they don't, if they don't look for it, they're not going to know it, but it's interesting. You bring that up because Katie and Forrest do break the rules about looking forward because they are watching a scene of what looks like Lily 
crawling across the ground. And we're not sure that it's Lily at first. There's only a hint that it's a short-haired person of some sort. But Katie says, this is what's going to happen. No matter what we do, in 48 hours, Lily will die. And it's, and it's already written. If this is a deterministic universe, there's nothing they can do. But of course, we know if this show is going to be a successful show where the hero you know, gets past different obstacles, something's going to have to change, right? The future is going to have to be malleable. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting thing to plant in there. Yeah. And she's got a pretty big hurdle to overcome. That's right. Because she's going along a path that seems to be in her favor. And then Kenton sort of forces her to go see a doctor. The doctor says she's not really schizophrenic. She's faking it. And so he kind of forces her to go to a psych ward. But when she realizes what he's going to do, she crashes his car, grabs the steering wheel and crashes it which was a great scene. It was so realistic when she jumped out of the car semi unscathed. And he kind of, as an older gentleman took a little while to, (laughs) to catch up with his sprained elbow or whatever the heck he suffered and a gash in his head. So kind of a really cool escape to end episode four. But I think Dave, you and I probably had our biggest aha moment when Lyndon solved a big problem that devs was having and that is the resolution of the image and the audio that they are able to get from the past. And Lyndon's job is audio. And he's figured out, well, we've been using the math from this very rigid deterministic model. But once I applied the multiverse theory and the math that goes along with that, I've got crystal clear audio of Jesus on the cross. And he plays it for the entire team thinking he's going to get accolades. And he does from everyone except Forrest. Yeah, and I don't understand that reaction. Is this it? Has he reached the point in the technology that he doesn't need to go any any further? Because you know, you just fired one of your most brilliant technicians. Exactly. And Katie points that out to him. Listen, that was one of my best engineers that you just fired. And she doesn't like that he's just refusing to see it because he doesn't want the multiverse to be the real way of things because he figures, listen, Lyndon has showed us a Jesus, not the Jesus, because once you bring in multiverse, whatever you're looking back at could be any version among the many worlds that are part of the multiverse theory. So he even says to Katie later, if that's not our Jesus, then it's not his Amaya that he's watching blow bubbles, but her retort is the ultimate mic drop. She says, oh yeah, well, I broke the rules too. And she plays the scene of Amaya sitting on the edge of the bed and slowly the resolution becomes super sharp and she just walks out of the room as Forrest is there just sobbing, seeing it as it really happened. So, right. Uh, and the great thing, <laughs> we don't know what his reaction is going to be though next. I mean, we see the emotion there, but what's he going to tell Katie then? Exactly. And what I take away from that is that, okay, here's how we're going to get our flexibility to make sure that Lily doesn't die in 48 hours. Now that we realize that we are dealing with many worlds, this predictive technology isn't as predictive as maybe they think, but I could be barking up the whole wrong tree too, because maybe Forrest is able to force the issue somehow and, and (laughs) make it so that, 
you know, no, what we are seeing is the path that our world will take because we're only looking on this one path. So I leave that possibility open, but I also obviously am hoping for Lily's safety as the, <laughs> as the series progresses, but man, what a great way to start the episode. I, I wasn't sure where it was going to lead to by the time we got to this recording of the podcast to discuss it, but I think that leaves it at a great point to kind of speculate on things moving forward and, and seeing the show's praises from what we've got so far. Yeah, uh, we got four more episodes, and we don't really know whether this is a self-contained miniseries or will there be a season two? Yeah, and I don't, I'm not sure what the numbers are on it either, how well of a show it's it's known or right. that kind of thing. But definitely a show that I've enjoyed, very different from our regular fare, and maybe some of our audience has been turned on to it by virtue of it being in the feed. We'll see. So, but we've got a show that maybe is more in our wheelhouse, but we're going to be doing a couple of different things in April that deal with anthology series. And the next topic is just the first. What do you got, Dave? Yeah, we're going to talk about Steven Spielberg's return to his anthology series, Amazing Stories, which is on Apple TV Plus, dropped on March 5th. And because it's an anthology series, we can look at each episode independently and it's not going to be a spoiler zone. And we'll just right. let you know, if you haven't seen that episode, don't listen. We should probably just pick two to talk about, right? Two of our right, favorites. Right. Well, we'll talk about the first two. <laughs> yeah. And especially since I think Apple TV is doing it with the Hulu method, like they did with For All Mankind, which is they drop a couple and then they do one week at a time, right? Yeah. Yep. So, so that'll be good uh, to discuss even though it'll be have been out for a month by that time i'll give people a chance to check it out if they are able to get to apple tv plus but that's next week on the podcast that's going to be it for this episode of sci-fi fidelity keep the discussion going on social media you can follow den of geek on twitter and facebook at den of geek us and we are at sci-fi fidelity and in the meantime we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics via social media or through an email that can go to sci-fi-fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.